Today on In Her Words, we're sitting down with writer-director Lulu Wong. She gives us some insight into her projects from the farewell to the current expats she has on Amazon with Nicole Kidman. Lulu is really vulnerable in including personal stories in all of her projects. We hope you really enjoy getting to know her. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We so appreciate you, and it's so nice to meet you. I was just... uh, I was just telling Renee and Emma how The Farewell is one of my all-time favorite, favorite movies and how I love your work. So it's just kind of fangirling here to get to meet you. So thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So one of the things that we we really like to do on our podcast for our for our audience, our audience, we have a lot of, um, of students and a lot of people just really entering into um into the entertainment world and entering into the creative world. So we love our, our guests to tell their story of, you know, what was your path to, to getting here? Did you always want to be creative? Were you, you know, did your, was your family supportive? Just kind of how, how you got to where you are um, in your, in your career, and your journey. Yeah. Um, well, I think I've always wanted to be creative. My mother was a writer, as a writer, and my father worked um, as a diplomat in the Soviet Union um, for many years and then became a translator. And so I think that it was in my family to do something um, involving storytelling and language and words. Uh, and then also being an immigrant. Uh, my, I was six years old when my parents brought me from Beijing to Miami, Florida. Um, and so I think that, you know, while I wanted to be creative, it was really challenging to figure out what that looked like for somebody like me while I was also trying to adapt to the culture, figure out where I fit in. Um, and so... Yeah, I just didn't um, do anything really focused for a really long time. Like I played piano and then I took art classes and I also was journaling and and then I went to an arts high school for music. But then in college, I didn't really want to do music. So I started taking more creative writing classes. And it wasn't until my senior year of college that I took a film 101 class and that's when it kind of clicked. And I thought, wow, this is really fun. Um, I get to work with my friends and it leverages all of these different skill sets, you know, writing, um, my music background, um, and, um, and it was a more social art form. So that's really, I think, what drew me to it because practicing piano or writing can be a very isolating career path. Um, yeah. That's really, no, that's really interesting. Did you, um, so what, if you, you took those classes, were you able to, so you went on, did you study film in college? I didn't study other than just the film 101 class, um, which I didn't take until my senior year of college. And by then I was, you know, very close to graduating. I took another film class, but it wasn't like I went to film school, um, or, you know, and, and, and I wasn't even a film major. I just took those as elective uh, classes. So I really had to kind of figure it out on my own after I graduated. Um, you know, I tried to get my professors to help me get um, commissioned on documentary films, like anything where I could learn. And I think that I was just kind of 
well, we didn't have the money for me to go to film school. And also, I didn't feel like I learned well in a very, like, controlled environment with all of the pressure, uh, like, financial pressure as well. And, you know, my parents being immigrants, it was always, like, do what's financially stable. Like, yeah, sure, you have to like your job, but also it has to be stable. And the stability part came first. And I think that there was a feeling that I had that if I didn't pay to go to school, that nobody could tell me how to do it and I would have more freedom. That's interesting. Were you, um, when, so did you, were you in Florida this whole time? Were you still in Miami? When did you move, you know, like get to New York or LA or where did you really start out in, in Miami? I wanted to leave Miami as soon as I could. So um, for college, I went to Boston. And then after college is when I moved to Los Angeles. And, you know, all my friends were in New York. But I think that I figured, you know, if I was really going to commit to doing this, I didn't have a plan B. Um, it was very tunnel vision. I was just going to move to L.A. and I was going to figure it out. And I had no idea how I didn't know a single person in L.A. My dad, you know, dropped me off in Los Angeles and was freaking out um, and thought, you know, like, this is a very, very, very big city and it's a very big industry. And I was like, well, just one step at a time. And so I started off by getting like a temp job and an internship and little by little, just learning what this industry is. So Lulu, you were, you were talking um, just about being personal, you know, what is that like to be that vulnerable? It's like, even with the farewell and so forth, you know, did you have like when you were approaching and or as you approach projects, you know, being vulnerable on that level is, is not always the easiest, you know, how did you, how did you, whether you overcome it, did it come naturally to you? Like, what is that, what, you know, from an emotional standpoint, what does that look like for you? It is really challenging, particularly, um, you know, I was saying earlier that I'm from two different worlds. And so when you're kind of in one world, everyone, you don't really belong there. And then even with my own family, I don't fully belong there. They'll say, well, you don't really get it. You don't really understand. And so my whole life has been like, well, I don't fully understand. or I don't fully belong in any arena. And so... I think that vulnerability is actually a strength. You know, it's ultimately saying I am okay where I am, who I am, and I am okay from where I'm standing in this moment right now. And even if I make a mistake, even if I don't fully understand, like that's also okay. Um, because otherwise I think we can get too self-conscious and we silence our own voices. And so I think that being able to just kind of claim space and when, you know, particularly in this industry, when there's not a lot of films that are cultural and culturally specific and are, you know, and that there's more and more of it now. But when I was making The Farewell, everyone's like, well, you can't do, you know, all of this Mandarin because it's not going to work for broadcast and it's going to limit our audience and people aren't going to want to read subtitles. And then my family's like, oh, everybody's going to speak English. You know, well, that's not authentic. And you're always caught between a rock and a hard place. It's that you're not never enough, right, for any one side. And so and yet we're trying to pioneer these new roads where we're going, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And you can have a mix of subtitles and you can have 
um, a blend of cultures. And so I think that's what I'm learning is um, that standing in your vulnerability is actually a, a kind of power and strength. That's amazing. Do you feel like the last um, few years there's there's been more of that happening? I'm thinking of you know films like yours and past lives and everything everywhere and um, you know the Spanish language films and you know and Godzilla minus one and when we had Coda you know for the the here you know the the deaf community. Do you feel like that kind of that straddling different worlds that you're describing is getting more people are being vulnerable and putting putting the, their projects out there I think so you know I think that it's um an organic way to develop because there's only so many stories in the world but by taking a new perspective on a age-old story that we've seen on a classic kind of structure but seeing it through a new perspective through a new lens gives it a whole new, fresh perspective. And so I think from, you know, audiences want new stories. They want to be excited. They want to see new things. Um, and so I think that that's why it's really organic. And also, you know, we are looking at a more and more global economy, more global audience, um, the world is becoming more global. And so I think that, you know, stories need to catch up and, and actually be ahead of the culture. We can't be behind the culture where you go, oh my God, that's so outdated. That's not what people talk like, or that's not how they look in those places. Um, and so I think that um, it's really great that audiences are much more open to reading subtitles and sort of seeing the universality of these stories. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, kind of what you're saying, where it, whether it was the executives or the finance that, you know, are are more worried and they're concerned and nobody's going to read subtitles and nobody's going to do this. And obviously, Farewell was, was hugely successful and thinking about Parasite and thinking about and but it, I feel like there's the you guys as creators are still fighting that uphill battle. And I mean, there were just articles last week. I know Issa Rae spoke out and she was like, no, you know, nobody's willing to take a chance on on these things. And, and the the movie going public or the the consumer, uh, the consumers of creative are I think they're smarter than we give them credit for. They're more willing to especially kids. I mean, the just how, like you said, ever, you know, we're more global um, citizens, we're more globally aware, and to be open to consume that content. And again, if it's a good story, it's gonna, you know, it's going to be successful, it's going to translate. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's kind of like a chicken and egg situation, too, where what you are feeding the culture um, is what they're expecting, you know, and so if we're everything needs to be like plot, 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 and it needs to be really short, and we have to jump into the story right away. That's what you're educating um, a generation of people to get used to. And then of course, if you give them something slower, or, or it doesn't do those things, they're going to be like, they're going to resist it, you know, because our brains are now wired for things to happen fast. But if we watch movies from 40, 50 years ago, 
it wasn't like that. You know, it took, you could have character development, you know, people had the patience to sit and just watch and just be present. And so I think about that a lot. Like what is our, um, what is our responsibility as storytellers, as artists, you know, to not just make content and give people what they want and make, you know, if they want junk food, give them junk food. Like, no, you're developing also a palate, right? When you feed high sodium, high sugar, then of course, if you give that kid fruit, they're not going to want to eat fruit because it's not sweet. Um, and so uh, not that, you know, it's not, it's still entertainment. I think that's important. And we are making entertainment and stories that are entertaining, but what is that balance where it's not just high sodium, high sugar stuff. Um, and, and I think that's probably where the, the risk averse comes from is because we've created this culture that wants junk food. And if you suddenly try to do something else, they won't buy it and then you're going to lose money. And so how do you get out of that cycle? No, that is, it's really interesting. So tell us, um, tell us about expats and how, how not only you you came to the story but i mean you're this amazing cast and just all of the buzz that that it's getting can you tell us a little bit about that project yeah so this is the project i've been working on since um the farewell came out and i came on board um because nicole kimman brought me the book called the expatriates by janice yk lee and um you know i really came on before no, I've never worked with Nicole before. She kind of uh, reached out and called me out of the blue. Not out of the blue, I guess. She saw my film. She saw The Farewell. And she really felt like she um, wanted my creative vision for the series and um, was incredibly supportive about giving me creative control to really play and take risks. So that's why I did it. I thought, you know, where are the arenas that is – going to give me the most resources while also having the most freedom so that I can continue to grow as a filmmaker, as a storyteller. Um, and, you know, this it's set in the city of Hong Kong and, and being able to be in Hong Kong was amazing. So um, I came on board and it's really just um, very different from doing a feature film. It's a, it's a tapestry. You know, this project was really for me about the intersection of so many different cultures. I mean, I think on The Farewell, I did that a little bit, but it was in a much more simplistic, like, you know, American Western versus Eastern, and it's one woman and her being divided between two cultures. Um, and on this, it just takes it to a whole nother level, like all of these different people from different walks of life, different economic backgrounds, um, um, and different nationalities and, and looking at, um, all of their different privileges, you know, and, and the majority, it's really focused on women. It's focused on three American women and all of the women around them as well. And I think that for me, I wanted to make a series that interrogates privilege, but also empathy, like who deserves our empathy. And I think oftentimes it is quite binary. Like here's the good person, here's the bad person. And in this series, everybody makes mistakes and everybody is both a victim 
to be sympathized with, but also a perpetrator in a different scenario. And um, that was really interesting to me, just making really complex female characters that were not good or bad, but just very human. Did you uh, did you always see, or when you initially started working with Nicole and the project, did you was it was it required to be a series, or did you did you decide versus a feature film? How was that process with the different kind of formats that you have the opportunity to work with now? Um, it was always a series. Nicole brought it to me because it was set up at Amazon as a ser- uh, as an ongoing series and. I felt like it needed to be a limited series and Mm -hmm. I wanted to approach it the way that I do a film and that there's a beginning, middle and end. And um, I, I, yeah, I wanted that sort of um, close ended, you know, a close ended that there wasn't something final and it felt like it was complete right by the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I pitched it as six episodes and uh, limited um, and then really seeing it as almost like a novel, what I, what drew me to the novel was the way that it was nonlinear and so much about the internal lives of these women rather than about plot and like a whodunit kind of crime drama, which I love, by the way, I will watch any crime drama and I do love them, but that's not what this was. This felt much more the novels that I love where it's um, you're peeling back an onion and there's just all these layers that you're peeling back and you're learning more and more about these characters and their circumstances. Um, And so I try to approach the series in the same way. How was it working with a, with a streamer versus, you know, something that was that new for you to know, like kind of the business side of it to know, that where it was going to end up versus like you're a feature film that you're like, who's going to pick it up and where is it going to end up? Was there, um, was that, was there a different working kind of culture because you knew where it was going? Not really. I mean, I think the only thing that it did was it took the pressure off of box office. You know, that was another consideration where, you know, the thing that I was going to do after the farewell, um, I wanted to take some pressure off of myself and in some ways, in other ways, I got a lot more pressure working with a movie star and with a huge studio, but at least I didn't have to consider like all the risks of box office and, Mm -hmm. you know, those things. And I think that I would have been able to take a lot less risk with this kind of a budget, you know, this kind of a scale um, if it was for theatrical release, uh, just because, um, you know, how much you spend and then trying to make sure you get that back at the box office. Of course, there's like a calculation there. When you went onto the set, um, you know, and as this was coming together, it's like what, when you approached it, what were the things that were top of your mind? You know, it's like that to to have Nicole Kidman call you and give you a script is it's like, that's a little bit of pressure Um, (laughs) or give you a book and say, we want to work with you. Um, You know, what did, what was that first day on set like for you? It was actually a really joyful first day. Um, you know, we were shooting uh, a lot of episode five, the fifth episode that um, features a lot of characters that are not the expats. And so that felt really comfortable to me, you know, being able to actually, you know, here I am making a Nicole Kidman series, but like at Amazon and like 
you know, the first few days of production, nobody understands what anyone is saying. We're shooting scenes in Tagalog and scenes in Cantonese, and it's all mm-hmm. these faces that, you know, are not stars uh, from an American perspective. And so that was really exciting for me. And I thought, okay, this is why I'm doing this. You know, it's a platform for so many people, for so many things. But of course, it was also a lot of pressure. I didn't want to let down, you know, Amazon or Nicole. But I also had a responsibility to, you know, people from Hong Kong and people of the culture. And and so I think that that's just innate to me that I always feel a sense of responsibility to a lot of different parties and sometimes those interests don't align and you're trying to satisfy many different things and you ultimately can't satisfy everybody and I think that that's also something that I'm recognizing is um, true representation is when women of color you know women people of color any any artists who is underrepresented when they just have true freedom to create, you know, because sometimes the burden of responsibility and representation, it could potentially limit the work. And, and so that's something that I'm trying to also work through. It's like wonderful to have some responsibility and awareness, um, of course, but then also as a storyteller, as an artist, you need to let go of all of that. Like even making the farewell, I had to let go of what I thought my parents would think mm-hmm. and tell the story that I felt was the heart of the story. And if I actually really followed my mom or my dad, it, you know, then it there was there's no way you can't satisfy all these people. And in the end, of course, my mom didn't like the farewell and felt she was misrepresented. And so you're, you're always going to have that when you're telling really personal work. Yeah. Um, so with these projects, what is your, what does your team look like? Do you have kind of a close knit group? Do you, that you write with, do you have your same kind of production teams? What's the, what's the team that you want around you? Cause like you said, you are vulnerable and some of these stories are personal. What is, who do you surround yourself with when you're when you're doing these projects? Well, Expats is the first time I worked with a writer's room. Previous to that, I wrote alone, um, and it was really wonderful. It ended up being a room of all women and from all different backgrounds and very different perspectives. Um, and so, you know, that was wonderful because so many of the so many of the storylines are, you know, their personal stories. So I'm not the only person who's putting myself on the line and being really vulnerable, you know, like Kirsten Santu, who is a, um, a Punjabi American Sikh woman, you know, tells her personal story in this episode through uh, in, in the series through Hillary. And so, Um, It just felt like a real community. And then, of course, in production, I work with the same team that I had on The Farewell. So my producing partner, Danny Melia, she and I have a production company together. And so in addition to producing the stuff that I direct, we also produce other filmmakers and particularly um, newer filmmakers, new voices. We really try to um, support them and protect them. And... 
um, Anna Francesa Solano, who's um, from Barcelona originally and is Catalan, um, and she's my cinematographer. Young Ok Lee is Korean American um, who went to AFI. And so it's all of these different people from very different cultural backgrounds. And yeah, and it just so happened, I didn't do it intentionally, but it just so happens that I end up working with a lot of women, which is wonderful because we have a shorthand in terms of language and just communication, you know, that um, is, I think, I think just very organic. So expats obviously is, is, is here and, and so exciting and a huge project. What, what else, uh, what else, what's, what's coming next? What else are you working on or, or your production company working on that? Is there anything that you can tell us about that's, uh, that's coming out for, for 2024? Um, I won't talk about any specific projects because um, I don't want to jinx anything, but <laughs> we are really excited. Um, our, our production company is called Local Time, and we have projects in animation. We have um, comedy, drama. We have um, two independent films that we're developing. Um, and are, I think one of which we're going to shoot this year. Um, yeah. And so it's just, uh, we have a, did I say we have a podcast as well? So we're just kind of working in all of these different spaces and to mm-hmm. figure out, you know, what is the best format for every story and to protect it as much as possible in the early stages and not have too many cooks in the kitchen and not have people try to fit it into their mandate uh, for content. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's been really exciting and I'm working on a couple films, um, I'm writing right now. And so we'll see. Um, but I, I do have a project that is a sci-fi project that, that I'm really excited oh, wow. about. Very cool. So, yeah. So I think it's just like, uh, you know, we're, re- we're really interested in like projects that ask questions rather than provide answers. I think that's what intrigues me is often, even with the farewell, it was, it came from having a question of like, what is the right thing to do? And that drives it. And um, it doesn't necessarily tell you at the end, the right thing, but I think it opened up a lot of people's minds because they're like, well, I've never thought about things that way. And I just think that that what we need more of in our society is um, an open-mindedness to see things in a different way. And even if you don't agree with that way, but to see that that's okay for other people, it doesn't have to be for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Showing us to ask questions instead of, because we do, we do get in uh, kind of ruts where everyone's giving us the answer and it's that shouldn't be the answer it's their answer everyone's giving us their answer of of what we should do totally yeah well now in the days of social media too it's all about broadcasting like somehow there's like a you know a, a need for everyone to broadcast and also immediately you know something happens and everyone immediately runs and I think that there's a we're missing something, you know, we're missing that like pause to really think about it, to consider, to have conversations, um, to consider all of the different layers and nuances um, before we figure out, okay, what is the right way to handle this? And what is, how is my voice best used? And what is the most efficient 
you know, use of my voice in this particular situation. With um, everything that's out there, are there are there voices that are your favorites? Are there books or movies or shows? What are what are you watching right now that that's resonating with you? Um, I'm watching a lot of older films right now, and yeah, I have. I mean, so many things. I'm also um, working on a book with my mother, and so I'm reading a lot of. Um, um, biographies and um, I'm reading the the Laura Dern book that she did with her mother which is so beautiful mm-hmm. um, and I really love podcasts as well so thank you for doing this but yeah I, I, I find that um, there's a real intimacy and a real nuance like I listen to Ezra Klein regularly I just think he is such a, a wonderful thinker and um, the gray area is another podcast mm-hmm. and, that I listen to. And um, yeah, I just think it's, um, it's nice to be part of conversa- deeper conversations and really nuanced, thoughtful thinking. I feel like I, I mean, podcasts as well. I just, there's something that's so much more, I don't know if it's because it's personal or it's, it's so much less rehearsed. And, you know, people feel like they can jump in or, you know, makes them think about something versus other other mediums that are, you know, edited, I guess, that are you're writing and rewriting and editing. But there's just something about podcasts and learning and and, you know, being able to to hear someone's real opinion and real expertise in an area that's I that are we're just so like we're so lucky to be in such a be in the podcast era (laughs) oh yeah I mean I have such a love and and you know for podcasts because the farewell was a podcast before it became a film Mm -hmm. and it really actually helped me to figure out what the voice of the movie would ultimately be by telling the story through podcast form and I think that the the intimacy is unparalleled, like to be able to, you know, not spend a ton of money, but kind of just get to the heart of it and also be limited because you don't have visuals. It's just voice. Mm -hmm. And if you can tell a story and convey all of this emotion in just voice, then you can move to the next level. Imagine what you can do when you have more. But I think, yeah, it was such a special experience. Um, you know, doing this American life in a room and it was just me and a microphone knowing that all these people were going to hear it. And then of course, within 48 hours, I started getting all these offers to make it into a film. Whereas I'd been pitching it for three years and, you know, at the offices and sending emails and nobody cared. (laughs) Well, Lulu, it was so nice meeting you and we're so excited to meet you in person at the summit and have you, I think our audience, I, I was going to say our audience is going to get so much from hearing you, which they will, but I think you're, you're going to enjoy meeting our, you know, our members and the people who come to our summit and obviously our other guests. But I think you, uh, I think you're really going to enjoy meeting. We have so many creative, so many young women starting out. You're really, I think you're really going to enjoy it too. I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me.
If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date with In Her Words, join the conversation by following Women in Entertainment on our social channels and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womeninentertainment.com.